What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Mike Janela Show. You already know who I am. And this week, our guest is a primetime talent developer in the entertainment world. Uh, to put that in layman's terms, she does a lot of other stuff, but she helps find people, put them on camera, and in a lot of cases, make them famous. Uh, she's more than just that. We will get into a lot of the amazing things she's done in her great career, but some of the names she's discovered, Adam Richman, Carson Kressley, Clinton Kelly, I'm sure we'll talk about a lot more. Barbara Barna-Abel, how are you? I am great, Mike Janella. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm not too bad. It's, it's Christmas season. I, I'm waking up to the Christmas carols on the radio now every morning. It's a sunny day here in New York in December. I'm great. It is a gorgeous day here in New York. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly when this will go live. So by the time that I end up actually posting this episode, which will be in the next week or two, it may be snowing and miserable, but at least for today, <laughs> we're both talking in, in very good moods. <laughs> So, Barbara, I mentioned just very briefly some of the stuff you do, but uh, how would you describe yourself? What what would you say you do and why, I guess, I mean, I know why I have you on the show, but for those people who may not be familiar with the talent development or casting world, how would you sort of summarize yourself? Uh, I won't give you a 140 character or limit or anything, but how would you sort of describe what you do to the folks who may not be familiar? Well, I do say that I'm a talent developer and the way the world has evolved, it's become a sort of a 360-degree process, right? So I, on the casting side, I see people, right? And I, I would say I have an eye for talent. I have, a big part of what I do is seeing the potential in people, sometimes before they see it themselves. Um, and certainly a big part of my job then is to convince decision makers to see the same potential I do. Um, and... But then it's also evolved into developing, literally developing that in people. So I do a lot of coaching and training and brand development. And it's evolved then also social media strategies and content development because it all interconnects now. It's such a different business than when I started, when, you know, you just had networks and you had an idea or they would cast you and that was it. Now, you know, many people to succeed, you have to be an idea generator, a content creator, an influencer. So that's all sort of a 360 degree talent development process. Now you run your own company now, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but take us back to the beginning. Cause I think your story, you've done a lot of interviews over the years and I came across a lot of them in, in prepping for this and you started in the music industry. You did a few years in a, as an assistant in an agency, and then your big move was moving to VH1 and heading the talent and creative department there. So tell us about how you got to there and sort of the beginnings of your, your workings in the entertainment industry, because it was a lot different when you started than it is now. Okay, first of all, can I just say how impressed I am with you, Mike Janella, because you're doing all the right stuff. First of all, you just said I did my homework and I prepped and I did my research, which is so key now for all of us to succeed. And, um, and I'm incredibly impressed you're making it happen just by, you know, having a podcast and the work that goes into that and the dis discipline. So I want to give you a little shout out for that. Oh, and um, anyone listening, I, I didn't have Barbara on just to flatter me. That's not why she came on, but I will take it anytime. Really? Because I want to, you know, uh, sort of switch things up and, and put you in the hot seat. I had a bunch of questions for you. Oh, just sure. about how you're doing this and like, the, you know, the hard parts, the easy parts, what motivated you, what surprised you about doing your podcast, because you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, we'll And I know that. we're going to get into that probably a little bit later, but yeah, I'm super impressed. But so, to your point, so yes, I did start out in the music business, and I was in college radio, I did, you know, music journalism a little bit, um, I was an intern at record labels, 
I and then I ended up at a talent agency where I learned so much, and that's one of the places I would recommend for people who want to break into the industry. There are a handful of sort of key jobs that are helpful, but you learn so much working at an agency because you learn the contractual side, you learn sort of how you know money is generated, you learn the inner workings of the business. So um, when I came to New York and I had a friend actually at VH1 who was running the production department. Um, I had such a unique skill set because I came from the music business, but I also had this talent agency business background. So the two came together. So that's how I ended up at VH1. And I actually started in production as an associate producer and then and actually helped with initial talent search, which was kind of, you know, headhunting in a way, but it's just because I had contacts in the music business and and then knew the contractual side, which was new, funny enough, for VH1 at the time. And I just sort of grew as the company grew. So when I started in 1990, um, all of VH1, Nickelodeon, and MTV, which were the three MTV networks, I mean, we could basically all fit in a big conference room. It was that small. We shared a lot of resources. And now you can't even fathom because it's like global company. Yeah, you need a whole building just for MTV by itself. And um, so it's just amazing to kind of put it, it was like a, almost like, you know, a mom and pop then, which is hard to comprehend, but it's true. Um, and so that's kind of how I ended there. And I started, as so often happens, I was hired for a three-week gig, right? And then nothing got done in three weeks. I mean, we worked, <laughs> but it was like, it just, it took about like three and a half months for the project actually to wrap up. I uh, took off two weeks, came back to work on something else and stayed for 11 years. You, you you took off almost as much as your actual first project was the length of, and then you end up, yeah, staying a decade. Exactly. So, wait, and got phenomenal experience because since it, it made me realize how much I love startups, but we also got to do a lot of things we didn't even know any better that would be hard to do now just because um, we were very, you know, sort of had a lot of budget constraints. It was a lot of like roll up your sleeves, be very entrepreneurial. A lot of things that I think people talk about in the tech industry now that we didn't have terms for. You just sort of did it like, hey, let's do animation. Okay. And that's a really hard business to crack into, but we're like, sure, let's do it. So learned all about animation, learned about, you know, uh, scripted series, learned, we did all sorts of stuff that never hit air, but I learned a ton. Which is a lot of that best stuff, the best learning experience is what never makes it to the light of day because you're just, you're fiddling around, you're trying new stuff. What was, what was it like? I mean, that's a, obviously at the time you say it, bit mom and pop, but while you were there 11 years, VH1 grew into what it became. What was a, a typical day, a typical week like when you're running talent for, I mean, that's a massive position in a massive place. What was a typical, it's not nine to five, I'm sure. It wasn't Monday to Friday, I'm sure all the time. What were, what were the kind of stuff you were doing? It's funny you ask that because I do have fond memories of actually overnights. Uh, there you go. <laughs> and, um, and how many of us are still friends? All these years later, huh. it was an extraordinary, it, ma- it makes me think, you know, I wonder if that's what working at Google is like now or on the Facebook campus or some of those places where you just really feel like you're kind of the center of the universe. You work really hard, but there's an unbelievable camaraderie and a lot of competition, but it was just phenomenal. You rolled your sleeves. It was great. Um, funny enough, you know, thinking about this, the, the downside I have to say is you go to a lot of meetings. Oh, I hate. Yeah. The worst. Yeah. And, um, and so I joke, you know, when I started my business, I what you know, one of the symbols for me was like, you know, a conference room table with a red slash through it. Like, you know, <laughs> I like that. A lot of dopey meetings. So you have meetings about meetings and meetings to meet. So that's like the unfun part of anything, the reality. But the, um, 
So there were a lot of meetings, but nonetheless, it was, you know, it's a, across the board, it's a lot of um, the things that you're passionate about that get you there in the first place. Like, I love popular culture. I've often joked and, have, and attended events where I've said, you know, if this is what I'd be doing if I wasn't working, which was back in the day because it's pre-technology, is I'd be talking on the phone, reading magazines, and watching TV. And then I found a job where I got paid to do that. I got paid well. And I feel like I'm still doing the same job. It's just now I'm on the internet. Right. Now and you have a lot media, more platforms for it. Right. But it's exactly still the same thing. It's like I love the content. And the best part of it was constantly meeting young creatives and seeing so many people as they're starting out. And then, you know, also, you know, along different um, paths in their careers. But, I mean, that, the best part was just across board because we did so much different stuff, which on the music stuff, you know, comedy, acting, yeah, just across the board, you meet so many passionate, dynamic, innovative people, and that you get really buzzed from that. Do you have any good, any good war stories that you could share that would be in a memoir? Was there a, a Prince karaoke session at a holiday corporate party? Was there any negotiation battles with like Jeff Probst for Rock and Roll Jeopardy? I mean, any good, any good stories you have from those VH1 days? Well, you know, with Jeff Probst, the one thing I would say, and it's the same actually, um, you know, with Tom Bergeron that you would never know is those two people are hilariously funny like so side splitting pee your pants funny Jeff I've actually gotten to meet myself and yeah I agree only the 20 minutes I had with him but he yeah he was a really good guy yeah he's so he's just great he's also actually a music person I mean one of his first TV gigs was pre rock and roll jeopardy and why I loved him was he was one of the road warriors for FX when that was a new channel and they had this sort of big morning show and, um, anyway, so loved him. So he's like, he's a music guy. I'm trying, you know, there are, I honestly, Mike, there's some more stories. I'm not sure I can tell. Oh, those are the best kind though. And, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes like being in the green room and having to ask people, this tells you how long ago it was like, I'm sorry, you can't smoke drugs backstage. <laughs> um, you know, oh, fun things like the you know, VH1 fashion awards were just, um, incredible to work on, like challenging, but awesome. So remember things like RuPaul, because Ru's so huge now, but one of the first things we did, which is what led to us doing the first RuPaul show, was booking him, her, to be on the very first VH1 Fashion Awards and came out with this amazing entrance with wearing wings, which, by the way, is incredibly hard to find. I've looked for it online and I can't. But um, Ru wouldn't fit. The wings were so big, Ru could, we couldn't get into a dressing room. So, like, running around the armory, trying to find space, like, <laughs> literally in an attic for a dressing room. Wild things with, like, Carl Lagerfeld, who's amazing, but, and just standing around watching him hold simultaneous conversations with people in multiple languages. Like, he talked to you in German, her in French, me in English, and somebody else in Italian, and keep these threads going. I was like, whoa. Um a lot of cre- oh yeah, Cher coming to the RuPaul show once and just post you know all the plastic surgery that was intense. Mm. Um, just being like whoa whoa okay, <laughs> um, but awesome. And uh, oh my god, now I'm trying to think, but yeah, well you know just shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well that's, that's eleven years in a, in a music related channel, which ended up being a lot more than than that. I'm sure. Yeah, you definitely. Have some good stories. Have you ever thought about writing a memoir or doing anything like that? Um, one day. Yeah. Still- I mean, here, I can tell you a really true story, but I can't tell you who, well, ugh. um. Ooh, it's like a New York Post blind item. I, I like the, the feel. <laughs> I just, um, 
was this is going in the memoir one day, but I was working on a show right after September 11th, mm-hmm. like literally. I think maybe the conversation started. No, it was right after. It was like literally like September 12th, and um, a, a show, a, a big reality show, had reached out, and they asked, um, "Hey, would you like? You know, would, we need some New York casting. Like that would be awesome." And they had. You know, we have someone in Chicago who's guaranteeing that they can deliver this. Can you? And I actually said, I don't know if you've read the paper, but New York City. Yeah, something's going on here. Was attacked and the city's still shut down and their checkpoints. And so, you know, God bless if Chicago feels like you come here and deliver, let them have it. And the the, um, coordinator said, would you mind putting that in an email for me so I can pass it along to my boss? Oh, geez. So that's one of my favorite all time. Like that's how crazy the industry gets when people are so in their own heads. Oh man, and that I was, was like, even before our, I think our twenty four hour news cycle that people move on so fast from stuff now. I mean, it's only fifteen years ago, not even, but even at that point, that's crazy. That was crazy, but then we ended up doing it, and it was actually kind of amazing because um, it. I mean, I don't know if you lived here then, but it was a crazy time, and it's such a painful time. But on the other hand. Um, it brought people together, mm-hmm. and and we wound up running ads for um, like an open call, and people, uh, I mean, on the radio, and people, some people like actually came in for this because, and they just met spontaneously, and they were like, "What the hell? Like, you know, my office building is gone. Let's go for it." And so it was interesting the way it brought people together. I mean, there wound up being some positives and upsides of it that were extraordinary. Yeah, I remember not to take this down to a September 11th uh, conversation too much, but yeah, I was over in New Jersey still at the time, and you could still see the smoke plumes from where I grew up at the time. I was in high school, and it was, that was the cool thing about it. Obviously, a uh, huge tragedy, but people really bonded, and you came together, and you kind of put things in perspective in life. And you know, if I wasn't going to try this casting call before, maybe I'll do it now because life is is precious, and you got to do what you got to do. So, yeah, small, that's exactly right. Yeah, small blessings out of. Uh, a pretty big tragedy. Um, it was it was around that time, right, two thousand one, two thousand two, when you ended up leaving VH1 and you went to form your own company, which you're still running today, Able Intermedia, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. what made you? I mean, VH1 it's big time, and I'm sure you could have gone to another brand or another network or done something on that similar level. You mentioned before you love the startup feel. Is that what drove you to start your own business? You know, honestly, it was. I am a working mom, and. I needed a change because I was traveling a lot and I was on a plane like every four to six weeks and I just had a second baby in 2000. So that was a big motivator was how can I, you know, make this work better for me. The other thing too was the business was changing Um, and I didn't quite grasp it. It's not like I had a crystal ball, but it wasn't because then right after I left, there was an explosive growth at the time in cable television and also in the type of casting I was doing and I was kind of it. And so there was a pretty much of a top to bottom restructuring at VH1. So it was, you know, the handwriting was on the wall. It was time to kind of like scoot and skedaddle out of there. And um, a very wise person said to me, you know, you could really have a business because a lot of people don't want to carry the overhead of having your skill set in-house, but if you opened your own business, a lot of these companies would become your clients. And I was like, huh. Hmm. And so I did. I had a you know sort of fun, empowering dinner with two other women who were running their own businesses, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And so I did it, <laughs> and I'm really glad I did. 
and 14 years later, still going very strong. And here we are, and then you evolve with it. But and, and so I feel actually feel blessed because it's like there's some circumstances, you know, sort of kicked me in the butt and, and motivated me to do it. Um, but it's true because it's allowed me, you know, to kind of become more nimble and uh, and create opportunities where it's like if I had waited, 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 I might not be in the same mindset and wouldn't have developed the same sort of skill sets low these many years. So how do you go about it? And again, this is summing up an entire career and an entire skill set in a very simply posed question. But how do you go about discovering the talents you do? How do you find an Adam Richman, who's the man versus food guy, in case anyone doesn't know, or any of the other names that you can you can name drop? What's the process? How does that how does that work? How do you do what you do? It varies from case to case. But, you know, one, it's actually a great question. And when sometimes when I stop to think about it, I would say one of the ways you find people is by staying open-minded. And and I'll explain what that means. So in the case of like Adam, so you know I was for a lot of people it's like you're working on a show, but and ideas and talent and things come from all sorts of places. So sometimes you find people because now um, it's because you know you're on Twitter or you're on Instagram or you're somewhere you're like huh they're interesting, um, or you're reading an article, you know, in the Times or Vanity Fair or somewhere, you're trolling YouTube and you, like, you flag something like, they're interesting. But in those cases, too, it's like, so when I was working on what became Man vs. Food, there was a very specific, um, you know, brief on who we're looking for for the show that, you know, w- w- was going to have the strong competitive eating elements. So obviously, we looked at tons of competitive eaters, and we looked at retired athletes and all sorts of people. And Adam's agent emailed me and said, listen, I have a client who heard about this. He's desperate to get in on this. And he had nothing going for him. Do you know what I mean? It's like he had this sort of non-script headshot. He was a commercial actor. He actually, by the way, has an MFA from Yale. He's super talented, um, which is the same place, you know, Lupita Nyong'o graduated from. But I meant like there was nothing in Adam's resume, his sort of blah headshot. There was nothing that made said, you have to see this person. And there's nothing about his materials that related at all to what the project was about. Except for the fact that his agent was like, he's passionate about it. Would you do me a favor? So I said, yes. Right? It's like 15 minutes out of my day. Sure. And I got to say, to be fair, on the other hand, too, it's like in these projects, like I'm not seeing 2,500 people or I'm not getting bombarded with 4,000 submissions like casting directors do on episodic TV. So I, I had the luxury to be able to say yes. But anyway, I said yes. And he was like unbelievable from the minute he walked in the door. Which I mean, Adam is who you see. And right. Think- and he never repeated himself. He was witty and funny and you know, brought him back for callback after callback after callback, and each time was better than the time before. And I'm assuming that's what helps set you apart from a few people, being able to control your schedule, being able to be nimble, like you said. Because, yeah, you're not dealing with the 5,000 uh, headshots you got to sift through. You can give somebody the chance to say yes, and maybe that's what gives you the opportunity to see see gold in the dirt when other people may not. So would you say that's a big element, is that this flexibility you offer yourself lets you take more risks? Uh, yes. Yes and no. But I was going to say yes, because I don't want to put it out there then the idea that's like, well, we're just kicking back and we have these huge holes in our schedule. Right, right. <laughs> it wasn't like that. But I meant, you know, out of all, you know, because no matter what you're getting, I mean, some projects do get a thousand submissions, but mm. I, I meant it's just to give sort of a reality check is there is some flexibility in the unscripted factual world that is different than you have in the scripted world or certainly in the commercial world where, you know, the turnaround is super fast. We have a little bit more time sometimes, mm-hmm. even if that's an extra week. And 
you can be a little, I can be exploratory. And I was like, um, and then I also know that people come from the most random places. So I guess part of it is being open-minded and being willing to take a risk and being like, the worst that can happen is I just wasted 15 minutes, which does happen, by the way, that, you know, somebody can be an amazing blogger um, or fabulous on social media, which means they're really great at, you know, projecting themselves through written content, but they come in and they can't perform it. They can't deliver it in person. Yeah. That happens all the time. But so Clinton Kelly came from, he actually submitted for Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. I still have a submission. It was hilarious. <laughs> and, um, and then when I was doing What Not to Wear, I was like, I loved this guy, called him. And that's a crazy story, too, because it's like he came in, let's say, on a Tuesday to audition. Thursday, they offered him the job. He's like, what do I do? Because he had to start on Saturday. I was like, here are the name of three attorneys who know how to negotiate these deals. Go. Wow. And he was an editor at, at um, Women's Wear Daily. He was the Men's Wear editor, I think. So, I mean, like that, his whole life changed literally in a week. That's insane. And I thought starting my first job after college three days after I graduated was a lot. But I was doing, you know, minor league baseball in the South. This is a, a, a big-time cable network TV show. Uh, it's a huge jump. Do you have Do you have a favorite or proudest discovery? Obviously, whether it's getting someone like uh, Clinton Kelly, who is an editor in print, to on camera or just taking a chance on Adam Richmond, or anybody else. Do you have, I mean, you've, you've credited, you've casted so much, but do you have a favorite story or a most proud find? That's a great question. I feel like it's a little bit of a Sophie's Choice thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, and there are actually lots of, I mean, you know, queer, working on the pilot for Queer Eye was incredibly fun, incredible, um, for a variety of reasons. I was going to say, I actually did a show a couple years ago for the um, for a company, a production company called Hudson Media, who I love. They do um, like House of DBF and tons of stuff, but we did a talk show that only lasted a season on E, but that was phenomenal. I love when you get to bring in lots of different people from different areas of expertise. I did a talk show, syndicated talk show pilot this summer, same thing, you just meet, you know, Incredibly talented people, the production company, and then incredibly smart, interesting, talented people doing different stuff. So that's that's the stuff that I enjoy the most. Did love, um, you know, finding Adam. Oh, they're all good. They're all good. No, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so bland. That's like one of the things I was coaching. I'm like, don't be that person. All right, but, all right. Um, no, it's a, yeah, it's a bit like asking you know a mom to pick their favorite child. I know I'm my mom's favorite, but she would never say it. So I understand where you're coming from with all you've done. So now you do coaching and you do a lot of classes, and I understand you don't want to give away the milk for free here either. But what if you can give sort of one piece of advice? You mentioned, I guess, in your answer just now, you know, don't be bland is one of the things you coach. What's the biggest thing you're seeing people do today that you wish you could kind of change from the people trying to break into into the industry? The biggest thing I want people to ch- well, first of all, you need to do the heavy lifting in the beginning, and so. The backing up, the hard thing and the good thing are the same thing right now. It's the fact that sort of anybody can get in because of, you know, YouTube is still an open platform. It's phenomenal, right? But now we have a glut. And there's um, this sort of mistaken, misguided idea that just because you have an idea, it's good. Or just because you can, you should. And, you you know, work goes into all of this. I think about, there's a great quote from years ago, Howard Stern saying, you know, at the time, back in the day, you know, his radio show was, let's say, two hours live in the morning, and then he spent the next 18 hours of the day thinking about his show and preparing his show. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very easy when you're starting out or you're inexperienced to not realize how much work goes into this. 
and training and requires practice. And so I'll often ask people, you know, how many hours per week do you put into your career? And I'll just get these sort of glazed looks like, what do you mean? <laughs> like I have a reel, I have a shed, headshot, I'm on Actors Access, what more should I be doing? I'm like, you should be working on your talent and your skill and your you know, point of view and having something to say and understanding, you know, why you, why should anyone hire you? What do you offer? You should be focused on like creating content. So I'm not sure if that even answered your question, but so that is often, like right now that's like my biggest piece of advice is actually take a step back and start to think about like the why, what do you have to say? Why should we care about you? Any of us. I mean, it's required of all of us. And that it's the same thing if you're going for, you know, a job in an office or a job on camera. Why you? All right, we are going to temporarily stop it there because for the first time in history of the Mike Janela Show, we had to break this show up into two parts. I had so much fun chatting with Barbara. Hopefully you enjoyed part one. Make sure to check out part two. If you're listening to part one in the first couple days it came out, part two will be out in a week. If you're listening to this well after the fact, make sure to visit MikeJanela.com to find the second episode, second part with Barbara, or make sure to look up the Mike Janela Show on iTunes and or Stitcher. While you're there, give me a whole bunch of stars and a good rating and a bunch of good comments, but make sure to check out part two for the rest of my chat with Barbara. Thanks for listening, and I'll do better next time.